the QMC Board and Collar Series for EMS Professionals welcomes you to Excuse My Medic, the podcast version of an MCI with Gary Harvat, Chuck Humphrey, and Ed Morasco. Excuse My Medic takes a unique look at today's emergency medical service with news and information, opinionated discussions, lively talk, sporadic jabs, and even a few belly laughs from our world of emergency medical services. Excuse My Medic is brought to you by Quick Med Claims, a national leader in emergency medical service revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting. Now, hang on to the bench seat and tighten your lap belt as these old guys from EMS past take you on a Code 3 ride without touching the brakes. You've had the disclaimer, and if you're still brave enough to stick it out, let's get started. Take it away, guys. Good day, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Excuse My Medic. My name is Gary Harbett. I'm the Director of Client Services with Quick Med Claims. Joining me today, of course, is my great team of colleagues, uh, Chuck Humphrey from the business development team who's up in the blustery north of Danville, Pennsylvania, and Ed, just down the hall and across the way from me, is our Vice President of Business Development. Welcome, guys. Good to see you today. Hey, good to see you, Gary. Chuck, how's life in your neck of the woods? Hey, it's great. Um, so we had a cold snap with a whole lot of ice and a terrible accident on Interstate 80 about two days ago. So um, that's uh, that's really bad, but uh, we're past that. Sounds like the weather's going to be really nice next week for uh, Christmas. And so we're just uh, floating right along to the big ho-ho day. Good. Well, it's always great to have you here, Chuck. Thanks for joining us. Ed, how about the Marasco household? All ready for the Christmas? You got 16 trees around the house. We are indeed. We're getting getting really, really ready at this point. We have, uh, you know, I'm the wrapping guy. So, and by the way, that's not like boom, 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 boom. It's none of that kind of wrapping. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I have a whole pile in the basement. We call it the workshop. And uh, Mrs. Morasco has all those packages lined up with posty notes on them to tell me who they're from and who they're for. And so I will spend my entire weekend up to my eyeballs in wrapping paper and scotch tape. Well, good. Tis the season. I know it's busy uh, at my house too. We don't have a big crowd for Christmas this year at the Harvat house, but we had a huge crowd, uh, 25 people in all. And as Ed and Chuck will attest, I was keeping them updated uh, probably from June or July on how we were already preparing the house by vacuuming under the bed and and washing the windows and cutting the grass so it's cut when the snow falls on it. It was crazy stuff. But uh, I did get one one great thing that happened. Hey, guys, uh, um, I don't know if this is of interest to our listeners, but yours truly is going to be a grandfather. Oh, boy, that's fantastic. Yeah, that pretty excited. Wonderful. Yep, yeah. really excited about this. And so, uh, you know, uh, we've moved from Thanksgiving to Christmas to we're already purchasing these things. What did you, my wife call it? Onesies? Is that what it's? Onesies? <laughs> what? So we, we've, already, we've already broken the market and the Amazon, blown up Amazon with purchasing onesies and things. So I don't know. I, I did see my, my uh, son uh, is a Batman fan. So I saw that we purchased a onesie with a bat on the front. Uh, 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 <laughs> but okay, fantastic. good, good for us. So, so we're all so ready. I have a question, Gary, is it going to be, uh, is it going to be Pap Pap G or Pup Pup G or what's the, uh, 
What's the nomenclature going to be? Jeez, you know what, Ed? We haven't even broached that subject yet. I, I honestly don't know yet. Uh, you know, in the Harvats, we were, everybody was pretty much grandpap. So I don't, I don't know if that trend will continue or, or not. So um, we'll see. I'm, I don't know that I'm ready to hear that term, but I guess I'm going to be, be – I better be ready at some point here. So maybe in June. So I'll be tearing up the, uh, the air lanes between Pittsburgh and Denver. So it should be, a, should be a great time at our house. So we're excited. But, again, thanks uh, to you guys for joining, and thanks to all our listeners for joining. I will tell you, over the uh, – uh, the past several months, we keep track of our podcast, and I wanted to thank everybody at the outset here um, for trending our our Excuse My Medic podcast upward upwardly. It's really has grown. Our listenership has grown, and, and we thank all of you for for downloading, subscribing, and and tuning into all our podcasts. But specifically, this one is tends to be my little bit of my my uh, my pet, my class pet. So uh, we enjoy this, and we have a lot of fun with it. So. I hope today is no different. But I did want to start off with something that's uh, of um, uh, importance that uh, I'm sure most of our listeners uh, from the EMS industry industry has, have heard of lately, and that, of course, is the cost data uh, collection process that is um, just about to get underway here in about a week or so as many begin collecting data for the calendar year 2020. And we've done a number of uh, podcasts and webinars on the subject already, and they've been... Uh, well-received, but I've uh, just asked if Chuck could kind of update us on where we are at presently, Chuck, and specifically anything about the uh, collection instrument, just if you could. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Well, two weeks ago, CMS actually had the folks from Rand Corporation on a um, webinar, and uh, I thought it was great. Uh, you know, CMS uh, presentations are about as dry as paint drying when you listen to them. And, uh, uh, but being that the outside contractor was there, and Rand is the one that's going to have the online tool for reporting. So they were very engaging. Uh, so I, I was surprised. But just a couple updates from that presentation. Uh, first of all, there will be a new updated model posted to the CMS website. I checked this morning. It is not yet out there. Uh, the version that's out there is the one from this, uh, December 4th. Uh, the um, podcast was the fifth, so there's still one coming. So they're updating as they go along. They're finding some questions and some things, uh, and I'll talk uh, in a few minutes about that, uh, of some things that they didn't anticipate. So Rand's going to go back and kind of redo. Uh, just to, to um, uh, let everyone know, the interactive model is not up yet. Obviously, it doesn't go live until next year. So nobody has to use it yet. So it is not available. So the only thing you do have to look at is that PDF that kind of gives you the, the outline of what's going to happen. The other caution that uh, the folks at RAND uh, and CMS wanted to lay out there for everybody, and we'll pass this along. There's something out there called the Amber tool. Um, this apparently is a private contractor that is pitching uh, help in collecting the data. There's been some confusion apparently over it as to whether that's the actual tool. Uh, so they wanted to get the word out. It is not the actual tool. It's not live. So if you're, you know, if you're asked to buy into that or whatever, that's a decision that you guys can make on your own. But just a caution, that Amber tool is not the reporting instrument. So make sure we get that, that word out there. And then you know, section by section, just a couple of notes uh, of interest. First of all, they are warning everyone that once you start the model, um, when you're answering those organizational characteristic questions in one of the very first sections, section two, extremely important you get that right. 
because that then will populate all the questions for the rest of the instrument. So if you don't answer that correctly, um, you may be answering questions and scratching your head about how you answer them, and they're not even pertinent to your, your uh, uh, service or scenario. So you want to make sure just right off the bat that you're prepared to answer what type of organization that you are. Um, I thought another thing was interesting. You guys have uh, water ambulances out there in Pittsburgh, don't you? Yes, we do. So they're classifying a water ambulance as a ground ambulance for the reporting and for this tool. Uh, so air, ground, and water. Air obviously is not part of this reporting. Ground ambulance does include water. So I found that interesting. I never even thought of that. But. So can I just jump in? So, so Ed, would the City River Rescue be classified as the water ambulance close to home here? I guess if they transported somebody, they could technically bill for that. I don't yeah. believe we have ever done that. I don't believe they've ever, you know, actually transported anybody. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's mostly deceased patients. Yes. Um, but I can envision if somebody was sick out on a gateway clipper boat, for example, and they transported them over, that would be a billable event. Sure. But reimbursement or not, it would factor into their cost factors. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah. so I would have never thought of that. So I thought it was great that they brought that up. Um, we did a, a podcast, uh, this past week on service area. Um, just want to make sure, uh, that, uh, we draw that out, uh, and make sure that, uh, uh, you guys understand that there are some things that are going to be a little complicated with that. There's actually two sections that cover that first one of the comments they made was primary and secondary service area. They're, uh, delineating that by zip code. One of the respondents on the call Ask the question, well, what if I serve the city and the surrounding municipalities are my secondary coverage area and they have the same zip code? Then they have an answer for that. So I have a feeling that's going to be one of those tweaks that they're going to have to make. I think they thought that each zip code would delineate an area. But, um, uh, you know, I can see where city and township surrounding or whatever the case may be. If you're the, the city service, but you only go out into the townships on a mutual aid, then you've got primary and secondary being the same zip code. How do you report your primary versus secondary? So they're going to have to do a subcategory and that's probably one of the updates you're going to get on the PDF. Um, and then also in that service area part that uh, goes over to another section that you're going to have to break out your total runs. And again, they're cautioning that's total everything. So if you're a fire department, it's total fire responses, total rescue responses, and then, Subcategory down from that will be uh, breaking out ground ambulance responses, uh, breaking out responses with no transports, and then finally breaking out those transports that are paid on. So about four different levels there. And this is where, and, and again, we did a podcast on this. So if you guys want to listen in, we broke that out a little bit for you to, to try to crunch that. This is where you now you start preparing and separating your data throughout the year to get ready for that. Because when you sit down to do it, you're going to have to know those, those, those separations. Um, and also here's where I think um, the Congress and CMS are going to get a good view of the costs uh, that we sit around or don't transport. And it factors in that readiness to respond costs that we all have. And uh, I'm hoping that that really sheds some light on the overall cost factor, because I think right there will be a good uh, contrast uh, section that will open up some eyes about how there are a whole bunch of runs that we do that cost us a whole lot of money that we never 
see a dime on the other side. So um, uh, this is where you get in the weeds where it's cool. But, you know, again, the caution is make sure you're prepped and answer it correctly because you want to paint the, the uh, correct picture. Um, talked about section four with emergency response times. Um, here is another podcast we did, and it's out there uh, just for you guys to listen to, um, where you're going to have to figure what your 90th percentile response time is, and then your average response time. Now, for a small organization, guys, pretty easy. You know, you take 50 runs, and you divide it by the number of times, and you get your time. Uh, you take 50 runs and lay them out in a row. You look at the top 10 of the 50, and that would be your 90th percentile response times. It's not so easy when you're dealing with 10, 20, 30,000 calls, you know. So there's going to be some, some calculations there that you're going to, going to need to take some time with. And quite frankly, might have to involve some of your systems people, pull that data out, whatever the case may be. So those are kind of things coming up. Uh, also, back to that service volume area, uh, they clarified that there are questions about intercepts. Um, and they made it very clear that there's two sections for intercepts. One is the intercepts that only are done in New York State because that, that HCPCS code, A0432, is only a New York State code. But then there's going to be another question on there where you're going to ask to report the number of intercepts you do with, a, uh, with an ambulance, with a ground ambulance. So they're making a distinction there. Uh, I can see where that could cause some issues because I think probably most of us in the field that are administrators just lump all those intercepts together. You go out with a squad, fly car, and you go out with an ambulance. doesn't matter. It's an intercept. Here, you're actually going to have to separate out your fly uh, and squads, if you're New York State, from your intercepts with an ambulance and report that separately. So that's another one of those little, you know, uh, tedious areas that's going to cause some, 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 uh, some guesswork um, and then back it up with, with some numbers. Um, they're going to do a whole future webinar, CMS is on labor costs. This really, they anticipate, is going to cause some problems. And there were some questions that they asked. Um, one of them was, um, you know, does uh, administrative work figure into the ground ambulance costs? And uh, this prompted them to talk about how they want everyone to default to a person who has multiple duties to the ground part. So, you know, you can't cross-report one person into two categories. So they want you to default to the more hours that that person spends on the ground side and then subcategory out if they're doing administration, uh, QAQI, um, maybe they do janitorial work, maybe they are mechanics on their off time and they're working on the trucks. So that's where, you know, that whole labor thing. And then there were questions from the uh, public about, well, what if it's a volunteer and they do fundraising work? What if a paid person, are we counting PTO? Uh, I can see a million different variations of questions that are going to happen with that. That's really going to be difficult. So again, be prep, you know, follow our podcast. We'll keep you uh, in the loop. Um, take part if you can in your state associations, uh, CMS, whatever you can put your hand. I know the American Ambulance Association's really doing a great job in, in breaking all these down and have been involved. So guys want to stay um, stay up on all that stuff as well. Um, and then I'm just looking over my notes. Um, um, I think that's pretty much it there. Um, you know, those are going to be the things that are really going to, you can, you can kind of hear um, 
<laughs> that uh, there's a lot of work to be involved. They did say this, um, and I'll close with this in this part. Um, they anticipate that the average service is going to spend about 20 hours collecting, putting the data together, and another three hours to report. I think that's conservative. I think that's I, very conservative. 23 hours, I'm, 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 I think they're dreaming. But, but that's what they're putting out there, you know, and I'm sure that's being pie in the sky because they don't want to create any fear. But good grief, can you imagine a large organization pulling data together in just 20 hours? That's, what's that, three working days about? And then another three hours to put it into the system? I think they're dreaming, guys. Got to tell you, but that's just that's that's my opinion, for what it's worth, uh, my two cents. But uh, but I I really think they're being very very uh, conservative with that estimate. Hey Chuck, I have two questions for you. Quick ones, hopefully. Um, you know, we had the privilege yesterday of addressing the uh, EMS chiefs and directors from the EMS West region here in Pennsylvania, uh, and we were talking about a variety of financial things. But one of the questions that came up is uh, when do we think that the data that's been compiled, the preliminary data will begin to be released so that other, so that agencies could look at it and you know, we, can, we can start to understand what the outcomes are from the data. <coughs> Did the Duran folks have any insight into when they thought and how this information well, might be made public? This came up very, very like in passing on one of the first calls and uh, keep in mind, the data is collected all of 2020. And then the respondent has five months into, so you now you're into May in 2021 till they crunch it and dice it and slice it and get it out in reports. Um, I believe they said they didn't anticipate a release until late 2021 or early 2022. Uh, yeah. And then they will, they'll, they'll publish it but not identify services. They'll publish it in a, you know, a slice and dice. So I, I don't think we'll see any of that. And I think, uh, what's the deadline for the um, Congress to consider the add-ons again? Is that 2023? Uh, I think so, yes. So that report's going to have to be delivered to Congress sometime at least in 2022 for them to make a consideration on what they're doing with the fee schedule. So I will bet you you'll see it end of 2021, early 2022. Uh, the first round of data, because then you've got four or five years, what do you got, four years for them to put it all together. So you won't see anything for, for many years that compiles everybody, but at least 25% of the reporting should be done and able to be released by a few months after that May date. Yeah. Uh, the, other, the other discussion we had real quick was, uh, and I don't, know, I don't know, there's no easy answer on this, and that is, what about uh, departments like you look at Pittsburgh here, you know, there's the CMS agency is Pittsburgh EMS, which is municipal third service, but you know, the fire department here does first response. And so that obviously impacts the number of trucks they have to have number of personnel. It's almost like the fire department uh, operationally is sort of supporting, yeah. but, but it's not a CMS entity. So that cost is not going to be reported under Pittsburgh EMS. So, it seems like it's a, it's, a, it's a misrepresentation of the true yeah. cost of providing service. Well, the only thing that I have to answer that, Ed, is that it's by NPI. And I know that, and, and forgive me, but I, I don't think I've looked at it that deep, but I will now. You ask that question. It's a great question. I think that's part of the questions that we'll ask about outside support and cooperation, contractors, 
um, and mutual aid. Um, so I think that'll be embedded in there somehow. I, I, I don't think I'm educated enough yet on the tool to, to tell you that, but that's my gut. But the actual raw reporting is by MPI. So it wouldn't directly uh, include those costs, but I think they'll account for that uh, assistance from outside agencies. Well, thanks so much for keeping us up on this, Chuck. It's great that you're you're staying so deeply involved and following it so closely. I, we certainly appreciate it, and I know our, our customers do as well. Very cool. good. Yep. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, I just had one quick question. Back to the AMBER tool. Yeah. Is CMS saying, and Rand saying, don't use this at all, or is it an acceptable tool? It's probably just, there's probably a cost associated with it as well. Yeah, I just no, want to make sure not. we're clear on this. Yeah, it's a good question. No, they're not saying don't do it. They wanted to just clarify that it isn't the collection tool. Okay. So, so if you want to buy into that and have outside contractors help you with collecting data, all well and good. It's, it's just not to be confused with the actual collection tool. Okay, great. Well, thanks, Chuck. Again, I echo Ed's sentiments, and uh, thanks for taking all the time to research this and, and keep everybody uh, apprised. It means a lot. Thank you. So uh, there is something that I'd like to chat about today, being that we are at the holiday season, uh, the time of year where uh, it's, it's tough answering ambulance calls, you know, all year round, but it's really tough on, on patients and their families uh, during the holiday season. And I'd just like to touch on something just for a few minutes, guys, if you could indulge me. Um, something that I have seen happen just recently, and I just want to bring that, and I'm not being critical of any one group or individual, but um, somewhere along the way here, we have done such a good job, a great job, at training our EMS personnel and protocols and uh, invasive procedures. But along the way here, um, I think we've kind of put, compassion and just general communications on the back burner. Gentlemen, you guys can feel free to disagree with me, um, but I really have seen this on a couple occasions that have hit close to home to me. And, and, I'll, and I'll give you those examples. Um, I was in the supermarket uh, a short time after actually our last episode, and I ran into uh, a, a gentleman who uh, was a retired school teacher who actually taught my oldest son in school, and I was pretty active in the elementary schools when my kids were in schools, and he recognized me and saw me and called my name out. We chatted in one of the aisles in the supermarket for a few moments, and then we went about our way. Uh, and as I was making my way through the supermarket a short time later, the same gentleman, I noticed him on the floor, slumped down on the ground, and he was pale, he was diaphoretic, and it looked to me like he was having some sort of a cardiac event. Um, so my, my goodness, I, I went up and for, for this conversation, we're going to call him Mr. U, uh, went up and, and was beside him. And there was a few store employees that came around and somebody was saying, calling 911, and they did. And, um, you know, he was obviously in distress and, and um, felt bad for him. And uh, just so you know, there's a happy ending. He did okay. Um, at the end, but my point to all of this is they called 911, the medics came, they did a great job, a great job in caring for him. I, I can't say enough of how good they did, but at no point was there any reassurances, any direct communication, any compassion. It was like, get through the questions, get through the history, get the caught, get him out of here, move on. And I kind of thought to myself, this gentleman was probably 
I'm going to guess in his late 70s, early 80s, and he was scared to death. And I just kind of thought, like, could we have not have just stopped for a second? And I recognize he was acutely ill. I, could we not just stop and said, somebody said, hey, we're going to take good care of you. you know, we're going we're gonna to be with you. It was, no, get somebody out to the truck, start, get the IV set up. Uh, you know, we're going to take him to XYZ hospital, et cetera. And it just, to me, it, it, as much as the care was great, it just, to me, bothered me a little bit. And, you know, you know, regardless of your religious beliefs, you know, there's a lesson about compassion really for all of us EMS providers. And, you know, gentlemen, I don't need to tell you that caring for others has its own reward. And, and none of us have been in this business over the years for the money or recognition but in the course of your professional careers out there, um, sometimes time and toil have a way of our, eroding our, communi- our commitment to excellence until we find ourselves simply just doing our job, like almost like a robot, I guess I would say. Some people refer to this as burnout, you know, or simply complacency, but, you know, it eventually affects all of us and we forget what an honor it is to care for other people. And it truly is. This is a very noble career. And some of us cultivated as part of our professional um, ethos emblazoned on T-shirts by saying things like, you know, you know, we're paid to save your butt, not kiss it. And I think that's a wrong approach. And, and sadly, um, I see more and more of this. And the second example I'd like to tell you about is, and this just happened, I was on my way. It was a Saturday morning. I was on my way to the Air Medical Conference um, this year. And on my way to the airport, I saw a car driving somewhat erratically. I think I mentioned this to you, Ed. Um, um, and I, I was about maybe a quarter mile behind them, but the, the stretch of highway I was on, I could see them. And the car changed lanes once or twice and then went off the berm of the road, kicked up a bunch of dust, and that ended up stopping. And no sooner that car came to a stop, the woman in the passenger seat jumped out and began waving frantically as if asking for help. So I was just at this point now about a hundred yards behind. So I pulled over and um, long story short, looked like the gentleman driving the car, elderly man, again, probably in his eighties had had some sort of a cerebrovascular stroke and the woman, they were on their way to the airport, luggage in the back seat, the whole bit. And the woman was just beside herself. Obviously she is the one who actually stopped the car. She was hitting the brakes, pulling it over and um, with that, of course, a uh, short time later, there was another bystander that stopped and uh, the ambulance showed up and uh, the county police from the airport came down and then another ambulance from another company. And again, they did a great job caring for this person. But here was this woman. Nobody paid an ounce of attention to her. She was probably married to this gentleman 50 years. Now, all of a sudden, He's nearly unresponsive. He's not communicating. He almost tragically lost his life by, by you know, uh, having this stroke while driving in a car. And nobody said to her, nobody said to her, you know, we're going to take good care of, care of your husband. You know, try not to worry. It's just some reassurances. And again, great care, but no communication. And I just, you know, I just really wish that, people would sit back, and I'm up on my soapbox now, so I apologize to all our listeners, um, would sit back and just for a moment, take a back, and we're all humans, and, and if you've re- researched any books at all, you'll see that human touch has an incredibly therapeutic effect, 
And how nice it would have been if somebody would have grabbed this woman's hand and, and just give her some level of reassurance. Surely she knew everything wasn't going to be okay or her husband was, was in, a, in a, a, a really bad state. But I just found that the medic showed up and it was get through the protocol, go through the questions and get moving. And, and really kind of left her in the dust uh, with all of this. And, and it just bothered me to the, the fact that, you know, I, I saw a quote a long time ago um, that I've remembered, and it was by a gentleman um, who used to write articles for Gems. His name is Tom Dick. Do you guys remember that name? Sure, and, yeah. and if I can quote Tom, Tom points out that uh, prompt and skilled professional emergency care is what we owe all our patients. I think nobody would disagree with that. But compassion is our gift to them. And like all gifts, bestowing it rewards the giver as much as it does the recipient. So in this day and age, uh, I, I just ask that people pause for a second, continue to give the good care that you're giving, but take a step back and, you know, a hand on the shoulder, um, hold, hold a hand of, a, of an 80-year-old woman whose husband uh, has just lost his life or is in some sort of a, a bad condition. That, that just goes miles, and if, miles with people. And if we would just take a moment to do that, I think we'd find that the outcome believe it or not, may be more positive. It's hard for me to say, but I just have noticed this on two occasions in recent weeks, and I thought I'd mention that to you, and I think it's important for all of us to pause, reflect, and, and take a look, because you know what, guys? Uh, none of us are getting any younger. Someday, it's going to be one of us, and you know what kind of care do we want showing up at our door or on the highway when we or one of our family members are ill? So I'll, uh, I'll come down from my soapbox and thank those who took the time to listen to me here. Uh, I appreciate that greatly. And, uh, and thank you both for, uh, for uh, sticking by me as I ran it for a while here. So good. Hey, well, let's, uh, let's digress for a second and let's uh, talk a little bit about some uh, upbeat news. Do any of you have anything you want to add? Because I've got a few, believe it or not. Chuck? You're on the way, buddy. Yes, I do. Well, uh, one of our clients, uh, Berwyn Fire Company, just outside of Philadelphia, um, had, a, had a real honor about a month ago. They received a visit from a, a patient of theirs who, believe it or not, in 2014, uh, he and his family were visiting a local strip mall, and they were in a famous footwear shoe store, and an impaired driver drove through the front of the store and pinned him against the, uh, the wall and the shoe rack. There were actually four victims that day. He could do it the worst of it. He wound up with some major lower extremity and pelvic injuries, um, uh, extensive surgeries over two years, uh, just, just quite a deal. But um, he uh, visited the uh, fire station, the EMS and fire station there, uh, just uh, about a month ago for their monthly meeting um, and just came out with his family to say thank you. He felt he was then at the point where things were starting to uptick. He's starting to rehabilitate well, but he took the time to go back and um, just let those people know how much he appreciated that he was there with his family five years later because of what they did. Uh, he's on a road to recovery, and he talked to them about maintaining a positive outlook on what they do and how much they made a difference in his life. I, I just, when I read stories like that, first of all, I still get goosebumps, guys. Um, and on top of it, um, just 
we, we don't realize how much our clients, the folks that are out in the field, I'm still in the field, but I don't do as much as I did before. But I think we lose the fact that what we do, how that ripples and impacts someone's life down the road. And I think it's just great that there are still people out there that take the time to go back and say, thank you. I, I, I know it means a ton to those guys. And uh, I, I just thought it was such a heartwarming story. And when I read it, it made me proud that, that we here at QMC are connected with this organization because I will tell you, they're, they're a fine group. They really do a great job. So kudos to those guys and uh, kudos to that patient for going back and saying thank you. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Great story. I've got one. Uh, this actually is kind of a, uh, a funny, lighthearted story. It has a good ending here. Um, this involves uh, Mason City Fire Department. Uh, again, one of our clients out in Iowa. Um, doesn't really involve them to a great degree, but it was in their district. They had a gentleman who was driving his car on his way to school, and he hit a patch of ice on the road. And uh, he lost control of his car. Uh, he turned right from there, and everything went blurry. This is his statement. And his car plummeted into the Winnebago River. Uh, he, he noted that he didn't know where he was going when the car went down. I didn't know what to do. And just thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm going to die. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he rolled the windows down, worried that the car would sink. Um, and the ice and water surrounding him were below freezing. Uh, he couldn't find his phone. So how did he call for help? He asked Siri. <laughs> he said, Siri, dial 911, and Siri came through. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I ask Siri anything, like what's the score of the Steelers or the Penguins or what's the weather, she gives me the recipe for chocolate chip cookies. I, 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 I'm glad this guy had a better outcome than I do with Siri. Well, Gary, it's because of the Pittsburgh sports teams. When I ask them about the Eagles, man, they cough it right up. Yeah. Sirius doesn't like your, your sports teams, that's all. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Maybe well, true. We were having this conversation last night about Alexa. My wife could never get the Alexa at, at home to recognize her voice. And I said, honey, you just don't talk to her nicely enough. You have to be more gentle when you discuss things with wife. <laughs> well, well, sure as shooting, uh, lo and behold, uh, the fire department shows up, and uh, they help this gentleman get out of his car. Thankfully, he was unhurt, but Siri goes on the record books as actually saving a life. So that's a, that's a great, great story. I thought that was really good. I looked at that. I just saw it a couple weeks ago and thought it was great. So, all right, let's, uh, let's move on here to my favorite time. Uh, this is the time where I get to dazzle Ed and Chuck and see if they're in the know with their words. Oh boy. Uh, so you enjoy uh, this way too now, much. Now, for our, for our listeners, uh, Ed was on as part of our team for the first time in our last episode. That was back in October, and he did a pretty good job. He actually was in the ballpark with a definition of, of his word. Chuck, on the uh, other hand, has been to the plate two or three times, took, went down swinging, and they sent him back to the showers. So, um, so we're going to try. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually start with Ed this time. 
and see how he goes. I'll just give Chuck. I know Chuck's getting a little anxious as, uh, as we as we discuss sweating, this. So. I'm sweating. Yep. yep. So, Ed, your word is now the, the way it plays here, folks, is I'm going to give a word and then my colleagues have to use this word in an EMS context, in a sentence involving EMS. So um, let's let's give Ed the first one. So, Ed, your uh, word is rubicund. That's R-U-B-I-C-U-N as in Nancy, D as in dog. It's an adjective. So, I'll, I'll give you a second or two. See if you can come up with that one. No Googling. No, no Googling there. No, no, I'm not Googling. The only thing I can come up with is Rubik's Cube. Um, <laughs> so I know that's yeah. not helping me much. No, I, I, you're, you, you're, you're swinging there, not connecting with anything, but uh, nice try. Right, so let, me, let me try this. Go ahead. So, um, upon returning to the station, <laughs> the paramedic returned to the EMT and said, wow, that particular call was very Rubicon in nature. <laughs> Was that generic enough that I got like at least some some style points or something? You're joining the ranks of Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> so it's okay, Ed. It's all right. Um, it is uh, having a ruddy or uh, complexion or high colored. So oh the patient appeared somewhat rubic rubiconed to me. What upon examination would have been a good way to go. So nice try. No cigar. So, all right. Heat's off of your heat's out of your kitchen, Ed. Let's uh, let's see if we can take Chuck down. Uh, all right. Are you ready, Charlie? I'm ready. All right. Your word is gustatory. That's G U S T A T O R Y. Boy, it's um, a. Uh, it's also an adjective. First thing that comes to mind is the second most famous groundhog in Pennsylvania, but yeah, <laughs> you know, he's the creepiest little thing I think on television. I'm oh, sorry, but yeah, he is creepy. I don't yeah. like him either. So with that out of the way, um, oh, gustatory. Um, well, I, so let's use it this way. Um, the chief was very gustatory as he loudly delivered his remarks about the new budget to the city council. So I'm thinking it's demonstrative, gustatory. Gusts as in a gust of wind. Oh, a little bit of gusto. I like that. Well, Chuck, I'm, I'm impressed, but you couldn't well, be you more wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You're about 180 degrees from where you should be. This does not surprise me. One <laughs> Okay. Um, the definition is it's concerned with tasting or the sense of taste. Oh boy, I would have never gotten that. Ay, ay, ay. So you could probably use it in you know examining the patient. They noted that uh, they um, don't have a sense of, I guess, gustatory senses uh um, i can't even make a make a sentence out of it but it has something to do with the sense of taste so maybe like a, a seizure aura something like yeah that. yeah exactly so i think uh based on that um we'll just get through this section and, and move on so look <laughs> <laughs> so good now next next episode in february gentlemen you guys have to give me one so uh i'm sure i'm gonna pay the price for that one for, without question at all so I'm starting to compile options already. 
<laughs> All right. Hey, uh, I've got some news from the offbeat. I don't know if you have any, but I've got one story. I saw this the other day and I read it twice and continued to laugh harder <laughs> each time. So uh, for those of us that are uh, listening that are in our age bracket, uh, I'm 29. Ed and Chuck are in their 60s. Um, <laughs> you believe that? I'll tell you another one. Yeah. But this this story comes out. If you've ever saw the movie uh, Mother Jugs and Speed, the, oh, you yeah. would think this came from this movie. But it's 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 hilarious. So here we go. This comes from us from near City, or excuse me, Junction Junction City, Arkansas. So the medics arrive at a home of a 45-year-old man who'd been remodeling, remodeling his upstairs bathroom of a home that he was apparently flipping. A lot of folks flip nowadays. Apparently, the entire home was being renovated and was not in very good condition. Somehow, while maneuvering the new bathtub into the small upstairs bathroom, he lost his balance. And as a result, the bathtub, which at that time was standing upright, toppled over and landed on top of him, causing a possible fracture dislocation of his right shoulder. Of course, they call the medics. The medics arrive. This is where we go downhill fast. The medics arrive. They move him to a stretcher and began the process of extricating him from the rickety home second floor. As they came down the stairs, one of the floorboards in the steps comes loose, causing... (laughs) causing the medic at the foot of the stretcher to to completely disappear and fall into the base. <laughs> oh, my gracious. <laughs> oh, no. Ouch. Oh, so, of course, um, with the medic at the bottom of the stretcher now out of the picture, literally out of the picture, uh, the medic at the top of the stairs succumbed to gravity and, as a result, could not hold oh. the stretcher. The stretcher began traveling down the remaining five or six steps into the closed front door ahead, ejecting the patient from the stretcher, and yes, you guessed it, injuring his other shoulder. Oh, my. (laughs) So, okay, now let's forget. We got a guy in the basement now, too, okay? (laughs) So everybody was okay. So the, the irony in all of this is, okay, they... I guess other help arrived. So they get down in the basement. And of course, the medic downstairs next to the furnace, laying by the furnace, he's also injured, thankfully not seriously. But yes, guess what he suffer, suffers from? Shoulder injury. A broken shoulder. Oh. <laughs> so, oh, man. One call, three broken shoulders. Oh, my gracious. Oh. <laughs> oh, I can Junction. hear that. What's that guy out there you have on TV, Edgar Styles or somebody? Edgar Snyder. Yeah, Edgar call Snyder. me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, But I had to laugh. Just disappeared. Imagine the patient's face when the guy at the foot of your stretcher literally disappears. Oh, Uh. Oh, goodness. Anybody got anything else for the good of the order there, Chuck? Well, I have one. This, you guys, you'll love this. So um, (laughs) this story I found, I I laughed at this and, and I can see this. So, on scene at a cold blue, a very green EMTB, fresh out of a state test and just out of high school, uh, was on a call. And there were folks from several ladies, uh, several units working on this lady. They got her intubated. 
They pushed some drugs, shocked a few times. It's a cardiac arrest. And as they moved her onto the stretcher, one of the medics thought maybe the tube got, got dislodged. And he looks over at this green kid and he says, give me some ears. Now, you guys know that we refer to ears in the field as a stethoscope, right? Well, this kid, fresh out of school, never had heard it, uh, wide-eyed, looking like a deer in headlights. He slams his head down on the woman's chest and then was trying to listen for lung sounds with his ear. <laughs> he quickly learned at that point that ears meant a stethoscope and not his physical ear. Oh, I can just, oh and it reminds me of a story about a uh, new recruit we had one time at, at my ambulance service that as they were responding to a call, uh, the siren broke. So she didn't know what to do. So she, I said, well, what, what happened? She said, I picked up the PA bike and went, <laughs> on the way to the call, lights going, she's making the siren sound. She said it was the only thing that I could think to do. Oh, uh, still laugh about that to this day. And I bet it cleared traffic. I bet she did a good job. <laughs> oh, it's too funny. Good stuff. Great stuff. Well, guys, our time has pretty much come to an end. Uh, Chuck or Ed, do you have any closing comments? It's the holiday, and uh, I think we owe thanks to a lot of people from our families, but to the folks who work out in the street uh, who take good care of us each and every day. But, uh, Chuck, Ed, anything you'd like to add? Well, I, I just want to say, you know, first thing I think of are all the uh, guys and gals of our brothers and sisters that are going to be working on the holiday, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Um, you know, we don't think, we take it for granted. And, and I know you guys know that because I've been there, having to have had to do it back in the day, um, it's a sacrifice. And so I, my hat's off. And for those of you that may be listening that aren't part of the active service, you know, if you have time to stop by, uh, on Christmas Day, uh, by a station and just say thanks, drop off some candy, maybe a couple cookies or something. You can't imagine how that goes. So my hat is off to everyone that has to work next week um, around the holiday, actually the whole week. Um, you know, it's a week you want to be home and uh, um, that's their job. They're going to be out there on that day while the rest of us are enjoying uh, our meals and our time together. Somebody's still got to answer the bell when it rings. So hats off guys and girls. Thank you so much and wish you all uh, a very blessed Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, uh, looking forward to 2020. But uh, uh, in the meantime, get the job done next week. Kudos. Yeah, here, here, here. It's, it's tough to be out there. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, Gary, apropos of your, your comments today, I think one of the things I thought about as you were talking earlier is you remember around the holiday time, uh, those, um, you know, some people call them frequent flyers. You can almost predict. Uh, it's that little old woman or little old man that they're going to call in December, not because they're really ill, but because they're lonely. Sure. Uh, maybe they're, they're a little shy on food or something like that. So, um, you know, thanks for all you do, the folks who are out there in the field, and recognizing those things. And, and like you said, taking time to hold somebody's hand uh, and maybe, uh, you know, talk to them just for a little while and reassure them. It's, it's uh, part of the mission of what we do out there. And, really probably the most uh, the largest impact we have every now and then we're going to get to truly save a life from something extreme but more often than not it's uh it's that little bit of compassion you can show and i'm in terms of thankful you guys i gotta tell you i um, i'm blessed to hang out with both of you i really appreciate it uh 
you and your families have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season and uh, enjoy, get some, you know, get your batteries recharged. But uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to hang out with you because there's nothing more fun and nothing more uh, uh, satisfying than getting that. You as well, my friend. Too. Thanks. It it is complete. You make make us a complete team, Ed, and we're glad to have you. And uh, my sentiments to, to those folks on the street, and of course, uh, you guys as my colleagues for many years now. I just, uh, you know, some days I sit, step back and think, boy, I'm a pretty fortunate guy. Yeah, we are. Very blessed. We are. Yep. So with that, I will say, Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. And to all of you, best wishes for a great 2020. Hard for me to believe it's 2020 coming around the bend here. But to each of you, all the best. Thanks for tuning in. And be sure to, to if you can, to take a listen to all our podcasts. We update them on a pretty regular basis. And our webinars are available as well at www.quickmedclaims.com backslash education. So to all of you, in closing, let me just say one more thing. Hey. Be safe, Be safe out, out there. there.